Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from the 8th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark. We'll begin at verse 31 and we will end at verse 38. Now listen for the word of God. He began explaining things to them. It is necessary that the Son of Man proceed to an ordeal of suffering, be tried and found guilty by the elders, high priests, and religious scholars, be killed, and after three days rise up alive. He said this simply and clearly, so they could not miss it. But Peter grabbed him in protest, turning and seeing his disciples wavering, wondering what to believe. Jesus confronted confronted Peter. Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I will show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. My way to saving you, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul for? If any of you are embarrassed over me and the way I'm leading you, when you get around your fickle and unfocused friends, know that you'll be an even greater embarrassment to the Son of Man when he arrives in all the splendor of God, his Father with an army of holy angels. So maybe it says something about my work and what he thinks of me, or maybe what he actually thinks of you. But Pastor Tim asked me to preach today on the condition that I would tell you about the time that I saw the light. Maybe he just wanted to reassure you all that I had actually seen the light. A few years ago, Allison and I, newlyweds, headed out to dinner with another couple. We picked up Becky and Carl, and then we headed to downtown Frederick, to one of those restaurants that's typical of locals who are returning home to visit family or friends. Downtown Frederick is made up of grid-like streets with one-way streets going north and south and east and west. We parked Allison's 06 Corolla in a parking garage and then went to dinner. Just a normal dinner. After dinner, we headed back down to Allison's car. We drove down a one-way alley that Frederick is known for. These alleys are usually barely wide enough for a single car to fit down. But Allison's Corolla was small enough to have plenty of room. As Allison exited the garage, heading down the alley towards East Patrick Street. I need to stop right there for a second. If this was a movie, if this was one of those don't text and drive advisory scare commercials, this is where I would shift to a freeze frame of some stunned faces. You would hear rubber screeching on the pavement, glass crunching, Metal crumple, windows shatter, and you would hear a scream muffled by an airbag deploying. Then the frame would unfreeze to police lights, that kind of thing. You might hear, if there had only been another way to go, we would have gladly taken it. 
any other direction. Like I said, you could say that I've seen the light. It is necessary that the Son of Man proceed to an ordeal of suffering, be tried and found guilty by the elders, high priests, and religion scholars, be killed, and after three days rise up alive. He said this simply and clearly so they wouldn't miss it. But Peter grabs him in protest, turning and then seeing his disciples unsure of what to do, wondering what to believe. Jesus confronts Peter. He says, Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. Does anyone else think that might sound like overkill? Jesus is overreaching just a bit. You know, just before this text, Peter had stumbled on the right answer. He appeared to have seen the light, calling Jesus the Messiah just a few verses earlier. But here, here, he apparently did not understand what he was saying. Because no sinner has laid out how the Son of Man must proceed, using words like rejection and suffering, is why Peter rebukes Jesus. He rebukes him. Rebuke. That's a word that's normally reserved for Jesus when he's exercising demons from possessed people. Peter tries to rebuke Jesus, and instead Jesus has to rebuke Peter. Get behind me, Satan. It sounds like overkill until you stop and consider how what Jesus was telling them about the Messiah, about the Son of Man, contradicted everything they assumed about those words, about who he was supposed to be. According to Daniel 7, the Son of Man isn't supposed to suffer rejection, shame, and crucifixion. The Son of Man is supposed to come in glory, come on the clouds, not on a cross. The Son of Man is supposed to wrestle dominion from the powers of this world, and all of the peoples and nations will serve him. Peter and his people... Their scriptures promised, they believed, the Messiah would come. And like David of old with a sword, deliver God's people from their enemies. Not die to them. Jesus has got it all wrong here. Peter tries to explain. He tries to set Jesus straight to get him back on the right way of this one-way Messiahship thing. If you are the son of man, Peter all but says, this is how it's supposed to play out. It's not about taking up crosses. It's about taking out those who build them. All the kingdoms of the world in their splendor will be yours, Jesus, Peter says. In other words, Peter rebukes Jesus with the very same words we heard Satan tempt Jesus with in the wilderness last week from Pastor Tim. Jesus responds the way he does to Peter, not because Peter doesn't appreciate the value of self-sacrifice, It warrants a reaction stronger than, you're not getting this. You haven't been listening. Just, Peter, just wake up and pay attention. It isn't that the disciples, the most trusted of Jesus' followers, his closest friends, have just missed the point. Jesus responds the way he does because Peter is tempting Jesus, as Satan had been tempting Jesus, to establish his kingdom by any other means than the cross. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus says to his friends. I know it is written about the Son of Man, about the Messiah. But I say to you, the Son of Man must proceed to an ordeal of suffering. 
be tried and found guilty by the elders, the high priests and religious scholars, be killed, and after three days, rise up alive. Tim wanted me to tell you about the time I saw the light. Lucky for our Corolla and our insurance premiums, the mirrors on the side of Allison's car folded in. She was able to scoot enough to the side close to the brick wall, and those side mirrors took the brunt of the five-mile-per-hour accident. The driver, obviously intoxicated, knew enough the error of his travels to at least slow down before hitting us. The car was being driven by a drunk driver. It was a one-way alley. He, he decided, well, if that's the right way to describe a drunk driver, it would be best to head down the one-way alley we were on, coming at us head-on. Tim wanted me to tell you about the time I saw the light, but it's not quite that simple, is it? I could tell you the story one way in relation to Mark. I could point out how, just like we were on a one-way street, Jesus says there's only one way to the Father, his sacrifice. I could then end the sermon by reminding you and telling you to go out into the world and you all know the rest. But the other way to tell this story is there's never really just one way, right? To say there's one way is to say there's another way too, a wrong one. A way that if you go down, you are certain to get yourself killed and quite possibly in the process, get others killed. And sometimes there's not a clear sign about which way we're supposed to go. Sometimes it depends on where you're standing. Sure, the driver was under the influence, but he, until he hit us, he would have sworn he was driving the right way down the street. We like to imagine the disciples just refusing to see the light. They don't understand what Jesus is saying because self-sacrifice is something that we, they and we struggle with. But don't forget, these guys have sacrificed more than any of us to follow Jesus in the first place. They dropped their fishing nets. That is, their families and livelihoods and followed. They're halfway through this gospel and they have already violated all kinds of laws by being followers of Jesus. Their reluctance to sacrifice and suffering is, is not what's going on here. Sure. Now, I don't go out of my way to avoid suffering. I don't embrace it, like Jesus tells us. And sure, most of us go out of our way to ensure that we have the most comfortable day we possibly can. From the way we order our routines in the morning, to what we listen to on the radio, to the people we choose to interact with or to not interact with. We don't even put obstacles in place that might cause us to be uncomfortable. But the point of this passage isn't that we should give up Diet Coke or chocolate or meat. It isn't even that. Serving and sacrifice. We haven't really seen the light until we realize that so far as he's been taught by his scriptures, Peter's right. The Son of Man is supposed to arrive in a world of clouds. The Messiah is supposed to be the King of Kings. A king like other kings, but to the nth degree. The Son of Man isn't supposed to proceed to an ordeal of suffering. The Messiah isn't supposed to wear 
a crown of thorns, be naked, jeered, and forsaken. This isn't how the story was supposed to play out. Jesus talking about rejection and shame and suffering and a cross. The cross in God's own word is identified as the absolute sign of alienation and God forsakenness. We haven't really seen the light until we realize how Jesus sounds to Peter and the disciples as irresponsible and out of sorts and needing an intervention as a drunk driver careening the wrong way down a one-way alley. During Lent, we make a big deal about denying ourselves and taking up our crosses. The saving power of sacrifice seems as obvious to us as a one-way street sign. But we haven't seen the light, the counterintuitive light of the gospel, the shocking good news of Easter, until we realize how from Peter's angle, and with good reason, it looks like Jesus is driving the wrong way down a one-way street. This isn't how the Son of Man, the Messiah, brings the kingdom. Get behind me, Satan. After all, it's Paul who writes, Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantage of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privilege and deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privilege. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven and earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before the Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all, the glorious honor of God the Father. Take up your cross, deny yourself. Paul can only write that because Paul knows what Peter here in Mark 8 does not know. That this life of self-sacrifice that Jesus is announcing, God will vindicate it on Easter by raising it from the dead. Until Easter, the cross and the life that leads to it is exactly what Paul says it is. Foolishness and shame. As much as we talk about taking up our cross at length, the only sign that we have that Peter isn't right to rebuke Jesus and keep from the cross, the only sign that we have is an empty grave. Because of that empty grave, we can take up our crosses. All evidence to the contrary. And we can deny ourselves. At times, making costly choices. Proclaiming that Jesus is Lord of all. And not the noises and idols that we make for ourselves. We begin to live into the life Jesus has called us into. The life through the waters of baptism, which we are all called to. Our called lives remove the obligation and then replace it with a feeling of willingness to take up our crosses and go to where we are called. But I wonder, is that all the light that's here for us today? Likely, if, you, if I go on, you'll think I've managed to take a passage as safe and unremarkable as an 06 Toyota Corolla and crash it 
at five miles an hour. But I wonder. Maybe there's another glaring sign in this passage that we seldom notice. And maybe it's not noticing yet that we end up going the wrong way down a one-way street ourselves. Maybe, especially in Lent, we're supposed to see how easy it is for us. Jesus is baptized and called friends and followers to start speaking Satan's lines. If it was tempting for Jesus to have a kingdom by any other means than the cross, surely it's tempting for us to want to have Jesus without the means by which he establishes the kingdom. Surely it's easy for us, to, as it was for Peter, to be under the influence and want Jesus, but to want him on different terms. We want Jesus to be our loving Savior, but we really don't want to love our enemies. We want Jesus to be, but we don't very much want to. Maybe we haven't seen all the light there is to see here until we've looked at it, like Peter. And we look at Peter. And like we're looking in a rearview mirror, see our own reflection. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.